If you have your Bible this morning, please find 2 Samuel chapter 12. As you're finding 2 Samuel chapter 12, I'd just like to remind you we've been looking at God's plan to restore. And when we look through these passages of Scripture that we've been looking at, it's very challenging. It's very hard. It can be very painful. We watch David at the lowest point of his life, his greatest failure, the time where the Bible says he displeased God. And in the culture we live in, we look, we can't talk about problems. We can't talk about sin. We, we can't really get to the root of the issue because in our culture there is no sin. Uh, you can do what you want and there is no problems. There are no mistakes. But yet the Bible gets specific about David's struggle. I find it interesting that as we've been going through 2 Samuel chapter 12, it has pulled out all of the details of this relationship that David had, of this sin that David committed. But if you were to flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter, or 1 Chronicles chapter 20, and you don't have to do that, in describing this time of David's life, this is the vagueness that 1 Chronicles says. It happened in the spring of that year, at the times that kings go out to battle, that Joab led the army forces and ravaged the country of the people of Ammon and came and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem. This is the same time period, the same encounter, and Joab defeated Rahab and overthrew it. If I would have known that, I would have preached First Chronicles instead of Second Samuel. Because that is the significance of the story in this part of the Bible. But in 2 Samuel chapter 12, we get an up-close and personal view of David's greatest failure. It would be like having a camera on you all the time. What you go through in the moments of life that no one else sees, no one else knows. The embarrassing moments that you wish no one ever knew about it. And that it was recorded and shown to the world. That's where we find ourselves in 2 Samuel chapter 12. But I want to remind you that even though it seems so dark and so hopeless and so broken that God has a plan to restore David. And this morning it doesn't matter how broken things seem in your life, how difficult things seem, how discouraged they are. God has a plan to restore you if you will let Him. God has a plan to forgive you and to work and to move if you will let Him. Because I want to just take a few moments because what we're getting ready to talk about are probably some of the most difficult verses in the entire Bible. We're looking at God punishing David by taking the life of his child. And I am not afraid of what you think about this sermon. That doesn't bother me at all. But what causes me to be very cautious is I am talking about how God works and who God is. And friends, when those are preached wrong, it can damage a generation. It can damage a church. It can damage what we view about God. Why is it that so many people view God as an a all-powerful uh, a deity that looks down from heaven just waiting for us to sin, waiting for us to mistakes, waiting for us to have failures? Why? Because maybe that is what they've heard, what they've been taught. On the other side of that spectrum, we have people who say that God is all love. God never judges. God never corrects. God loves everybody all the time, no matter their situations and circumstances. 
and you have two extremes that are neither correct. And so that is my concern. That is why we're going to go slow. I don't think we'll get through all of it this morning just because I really hope that you will hear what the Word of God says. And so even though David has fallen, David has sinned, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, starting in verse 13, the Bible says this, So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. David has repented in this moment after hearing the Word of God from Nathan. He has started the process of being restored, and it always starts with repentance. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. He's received forgiveness. He's received hope. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house. You see, we see in this passage of Scripture that sin can be eternally forgiven, but yet sometimes sin has earthly consequences. Now, I want to be very clear here because sometimes people will look around and say, well, every bad thing that you go to is a specific result of your sin. Now, the Bible teaches that some things happen as correction. Some things happen as just the difficulties of life because the world that we live in is fallen. The world that we live in is corrupted by sin. So every time someone gets cancer, it's not because God has looked down on them and is punishing them for their sin. Every time a child dies to parents, it doesn't mean that God is reaching down and punishing the parents. Sometimes those happen because sin has corrupted everything. But I don't want you to miss that there are times in your life and in mine when what happens to us is a direct result of God saying, I love you, you're heading the wrong way, you are not listening, and I will correct you, I will bring you back by whatever means necessary. And as parents, I think you know that. As parents, we warn our children, we try to guide our children, we try to correct our children, but there comes a point when our children will not listen or disobey us to a point where the Bible says there has to be correction. Now, if you're here today and you say, my kids don't respond to spanking, I'd spank them harder. Sorry. I know that's not popular, and, I, and I'm not telling you to abuse your kids, but the Bible literally says to spare the rod is to hate the child. And so there comes a point in our life when we as Christians, when we disobey God, when we run from God, when we who are truly saved are not listening to the Spirit of God, when God has to say, I will correct you by whatever it takes. And this is where it gets very challenging. Because we view God as cruel, we view God as mean, but yet the Bible says that God is love. God knows what hell will be like for those that are lost. God knows those who think they are saved but are truly not. You see, God wants you to be saved. I believe the Bible teaches that. I believe that you're not saved by church membership. You're not saved by baptism. You're not saved by the Lord's Supper. You are saved by repenting of your sins, 
calling upon the name of the Lord and experiencing the new birth, forgiveness and grace and the mercy of God. But friends, I believe that there are so many people sitting in church that don't truly know the Lord. And the Lord loves you too much for you to convince yourself, to tell yourself, to stroll through life believing you were saved and be lost. An example of that in Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or the eighteen with whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse sinners than all other who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now he says these people did not die because they were more sinful than others. But yet you can find in the Old Testament with Ahab and Jezebel that there comes a time in life when God says your wickedness is enough and you are going to be punished a special way. We know that she fell out and her, her, her uh, body was licked up and eaten by the dogs. And so today I just want you to see that the Bible teaches both that God corrects, but God also allows things that are no specific effect of your sin. Because we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But I also want to say, though, that because of that, it causes us to question God. And I do not believe it is wrong to ask God why. I don't believe it is God to be, I don't believe it is wrong to, to have serious times of question and, and discussion and prayer with the Lord. But I think we also have to remember that God is not like us. That we view ourselves highly and God very lowly. And so when, I got a big introduction, but the sermon will be short. Just stay with me, all right? In Job 38, listen, this is God's answer to Job. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fashioned? Or lay who laid its cornerstone? And you can go on in Job chapter 38, and God is constantly reminding Job, where were you when I created the oceans? Where were you when I did this? And so friends, as a church and as a country, we have elevated ourselves that we are like God, that we know God, that we know how God thinks and how God works, and that is not true. God has always existed. God knows everything. God is all-powerful. And so God sees and knows and is working in areas that we don't know. And so while I have no problem getting along with God and saying, God, you need to show me. God, please show me. God, please explain this to me. There are some times when God just says, Jake, you don't get to know. You don't get to understand this situation. 
I am working above you and and higher than you, and, and my ways are higher and above you. And the fourth thing in the introduction is even though it seems very difficult, and even though there is great loss, that God does not forsake David, and he still works in his life. Because I don't know if you know this, when you correct your children, there's a moment there when they're crying, and they don't like you, and they're like, I hate you. Or I'm going to go to my room, and I'm never going to talk to you again. Came on. That's okay. They get hungry, they what? They come right on out. Same way in our house. When my wife and I get mad, I'm mad until it's supper time, and I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm fat. But I say that today because most of us would think, well, David is done. God is not going to bless him. God can never use him again because of the failure that he has had. You were wrong. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, after this is explained to us what is going to be looked at today, listen to what the Bible says in verse 24. Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went in to her and lay with her. So she bore a son... And he called his name Solomon. Now the Lord loved him. And he went, sent word by Nathan the prophet. So he called the name Jedidiah because of the Lord. That word for Jedidiah means beloved of the Lord. You see, most of us would think that David and Bathsheba made this sin, they made this mistake, and God would never bless them. He would never bless their marriage. He would never bless the womb because of what they've done. But God did. And friends, this morning I want you to know something. Your sin does not have to define you. It does not have to destroy you. It does not have to discourage you to a point where you give up because God can work after the mess. But you have to do it His way. You see, most of us don't want to deal with the mess. We just want to move on. We just want to act like it never happened. We just want to treat it like it wasn't a big deal. And friends, if you and I will humble ourselves today and truly seek the Lord, no matter how broken things are, no matter how painful things are, no matter how challenging things are, God has a plan to restore. And I hope that you'll hear that because we're going to talk about some challenging things. But I hope that you'll remember that God can restore your situation. Pray with me this morning and we'll jump right in. Father, I come this morning... Lord, and you know that I am not capable, that I am not able, that, God, I have nothing good to add. And, God, you are the one that put us in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel years ago, Lord. And as we have verse by verse studied your word, God, I pray that you would honor your word and the preaching of it. God, I ask that you would bless the verse by verse, explaining and praying and talking about your word, Lord, not skipping over the things that we don't like, not glossing over the things that make us look good. But God, I pray that you would convict us to the very secret parts of our heart, to the darkest corners of our life, that today would be the day that you would make this the church that you want us to be. God, that you would make us the people that you want us to be. And Lord, that you would do it all for your glory. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Taking notes this morning, and I hope that you will, I pray that you will, is that times of correction or difficulty reveal our heart. Times of correction or difficulty reveal our heart. There are two parts of that topic today because correction 
and difficulty are two different things. There are seasons when God allows you to go something to encourage you, to, to cause your faith to be strengthened. It is a trial. But there are other times that you are going to go through things where it's correction, where God is saying you're headed the wrong way. I'm going to turn you around. I'm going to put you on the right track. And it's a time of correction. You say, well, Jake, how do I know which one that I'm in? I can't tell you that. What I can tell you is you ought to be repenting daily. You ought to be repenting in the situations. Now, are there times in life when God will lay on your heart or mine that, hey, this is going on? Absolutely. But I want to caution you today by telling something what is going on in their life. Because the Bible says if you claim to be a prophet and have a word from God and it is not true, you are a false prophet. And so when I speak to you, when you share your problems with me and concerns with me, I'm going to always show you the Scripture. I'm going to always try to talk to you about what I think God is doing and working and moving. But if you are going to say, thus saith the Lord, you need to make sure that it is thus saith the Lord. Be very cautious as you correct people and encourage people and talk to people and try to help people that what is your opinion is not God's opinion. Job's friends did that to them, and God comes back and says, they ain't got nothing to tell you. This is what's going on. This is why I'm working. And so I want to just caution you, but encourage you. So listen here in verses 15 through 17. The Bible tells us, starting in verse 15, Then Nathan departed to his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill. David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of the house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. I want you to notice a couple things here. First, it calls... Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. But if you remember what God called Bathsheba in chapter 12, verse 24 was David's wife. You see, God still viewed what David wrong, had done as wrong, even though there was a wedding certificate. Even though there was a wedding ceremony. Even though David had brought her in and married her, he still says it's Uriah's wife. I'm going to wade into this, and I know I probably shouldn't, but it is what it is. No matter how your relationship started, it doesn't have to define what it is today. Don't miss that. Today, you can have a marriage that honors God, even if it didn't start the right way. It's getting quiet. That's okay. We'll just keep waiting on in. Your, Your marriage might have started in a situation of adultery might have started in a situation of infidelity. It might have started in a situation of immorality. And you need to know something, that you've got to ask for forgiveness for how it started. You have to get right with God. But today, you can have a marriage that honors God. And I think we failed that in the church today. We've told people that how it starts is how it ends, and it's not. God can forgive. That doesn't mean it's okay how it started. That doesn't mean that there's not consequences for how it started. 
But today, your marriage can be something that honors God, that pleases God, that can be a blessing to you, no matter how it started. I get a kick out of this, and it's not funny. But I always ask people, at what point do you think that couples started sleeping together before they got married? It's always been going on. For years, we just didn't talk about it. For years, they went out to places like Lover's Lane. I was sitting in a funeral the other day, and an 80-year-old woman was sitting beside me, 80-something, I don't know what it was, some of that age group, young, young. And a gentleman walked through the funeral line, and she goes, and I said, oh, I think that's a wonderful man. He's a, he's a fine fellow. I like him. She goes, you are right, but he was not always a wonderful fellow. And I went, oh, no. She goes, we dated in high school, and he tried to take me out to Lover's Lane, and when I wouldn't do something that he wanted me to do, I walked back to town. And I went, I am so awkward right now. Because there's a certain age where I just don't want to hear that discussion anymore. I'm trying to add as much humor as I can into the awkwardness today, all right? And I said, really? She said, yes. And I said, well, good for you. Just kind of sit there and thought, wow. It doesn't mean it's okay today. It doesn't mean it was okay then. Whether everybody knows it or no one knows it. We have to get back to teaching our children and our young people that sex is a special and sacred thing that God intended for a married couple. A married couple ought to enjoy it. They ought to embrace it. The Bible says it ought to be often. We ought to not be so scared and awkward that we can't talk about it. But someone has to stand up and say, I don't care if you love them. I don't care if you think about it. I don't care if you're going to marry them. God says, wait. We have to encourage our young people that it's valuable, that it's special, that it's sacred. But we have to also tell them that their mistake does not have to define them. And that you can have a marriage, and you can have a family, and you can have a life that is blessed by God, even if it all started out the wrong way. And so we see that here, that David's child is struck with sickness. We see here that David's child faces the judgment that David deserves. And I want to just give you a couple things, because some people will ask, well, what point does God judge and correct us for our sins? I believe reading through the Bible, these are some of the marks that brings the correction of God to our life. When we cause others to sin. When we, like Jesus said, cause little ones to stumble. There is a time when God begins to take notice and correct. I think when we try to cover our sin. God takes notice and begins to correct. When we are trying to blame others for our sin, God takes notice and begins to correct. When we become self-righteous about our sin, God takes notice and begins to correct. You say, Jake, how is that different from our sin? The Bible teaches us that we all sin and fall short. I'm going to say things, do things, fail things, 
and I'm going to have to repent. I'm going to be convicted of those sins. But friends, I want you to know that there is a difference when we struggle with sin and when we embrace sin. When we understand that we have sinned and turn back to God, or when we know that we have sinned and continue to run from God. And as Christians, we need to begin to model this for a lost and dying world. That yes, I am a sinner. Yes, I struggle with sin. But I don't embrace my sin. I don't live in my sin. I don't wallow in my sin. It is a daily struggle, a daily battle that God is working on my life. And the fifth and final thing that I think really brings the correction of God is when we begin to disregard His Word. When we know what the Bible says, but yet we reject it as believers. When we refuse to preach, when we refuse to teach or take a stand for God's Word. I believe in those moments it goes from difficulties to the correction of God. We see here that God responds to David's sin. He says, because you have done this, David, this will be the consequence. The blame is all and totally being placed on David. It's not being placed on the child. Even though the child was born a sinner, he is not being punished for his sin. He is being punished for the sin of the father. And I stated this last week that you would say, well, the Bible says that one generation is not held accountable for the generation of the generation before them. That's true. The Bible never says that God sends you to hell because of your parents. Or you go to heaven because of your children. Eternal consequences and where you spend eternity will always be about your relationship to Jesus. But earthly consequences are many times passed down. Many times affect the next generation. How many times has a parent gotten drunk and got in a car and drove somewhere and had an accident and the children died? How many times has an adult murdered a family and it affected children? So the Bible says eternal consequences are never given to you because of someone else. God always gives you an opportunity to know Him, to love Him. In the case of David's child who died before he was old enough to make that decision, and some will disagree with me, that's okay, you can be wrong. I love you anyway, all right? David says, I can go to him, but he can't come back to me. I believe that God is merciful and gracious to a small child. I believe that. I believe that's what we see in this text. God doesn't have to respond even if we fast and pray. Because sometimes you will read and hear that if I just fast enough, if I just pray enough, if I just give enough money, that God has to respond. Not always the case. David didn't waver in his seeking of God. The title of this section was Times of Correction or Difficulty Reveal Our Heart. I know and you know people who have went through great tragedy in their life and they have become angry with God and ran from God. You have other seen people who have went through great tragedy and great hardship and have ran to God. Difficulties reveal our heart. You see, when we go through great challenges, and even though we might question God, even though we might have doubts, even though we might have disappointments, even though we might not understand, in those moments, the response that we have to God either shows us if we're right with Him or if we're running from Him. 
You say it's not fair. They were not angry with God. They were not bitter with God. They were in church before that happened. That doesn't mean they were right with God. The Bible says that any of us can love those who are good to us. Be kind to those that are good to us. But the mark of a believer is that we can forgive those that don't deserve to be forgiven. We can love those that don't love us. That the fruit that we have is not based on other people's worth, but the relationship that I have with God. And so when the blessings dry up, do I still love the blesser? No, it's awkward. When the thing that I love most is gone, did I love it more than I loved Him? If everything that I have put my faith and trust in disappears, is my life shaken or do I realize that I trust Him? I know this won't be popular. I know this is not easy because we all have situations in our life that we look back and say, boy, I was this close to running from God totally. I was this close to giving up. I was this close to calling it quits. Friends, if you're here today, and God has given you another day. He's not done with you. You say, Jake, I've been mad at God for years. I've had unforgiveness for decades. It's hopeless. No, it's not. It's not. You say, Jake, our marriage has been bad for 35 years. We are roommates just because giving half of everything is too expensive. doesn't have to stay that way. Today, if you are in a valley, you have a choice to either seek the Lord, to run to Him, to trust Him, or to continue to stay away from Him. Psalm 56 verse 3, it's a wonderful verse that I have been trying to evaluate in my own life. Psalms 56 3 says, Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. That word for afraid, you can apply for fear. When fear begins to overtake me, I will trust in you. Fear can look so many different ways. Fear can look like we're afraid of tomorrow. We're afraid of the unknown. We're afraid of death. We're afraid of do we have enough money. We're afraid of what's the world going to be like. We're afraid of people. We're afraid of situations. And what God's Word says is, when I am afraid, when I have no hope, When I don't see a way, I'm going to trust in Him. I'm going to seek Him. Church is not the answer. Your pastor is not the answer. Your neighbor is not the answer. He is enough. Jesus is enough. Know Him. Love Him. Trust Him. Rely on Him. Give Him everything. and Watch what He can do in the darkest, most broken moments of your life. Second thing I want to show you this morning is times of correction or difficulty cause fear and challenges. You said, Jake, you just told us not to be afraid. Yeah, but I know you and I know me and it happens. Times of correction or difficulty cause fear and challenges. Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they had said, Indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm. 
When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. That word for harm can sometimes mean evil. They thought, we don't know what the king's going to do. Is he going to punish the servants? Is he going to punish those who were taking care of the child? Is he going to punish those who went and got Bathsheba and brought him to the house, her to the house? You remember he sent for her, right? David didn't go strolling through the city and knock on her door and say, hey, I'm coming in. He sent for her. Someone came and brought him the message that she was pregnant. Maybe he's going to murder all of them because of what they've done or how they've contributed to this. There was fear. They didn't understand what David was going through. See, this morning I want you to see this, that when you are in a time of difficulty, a time of correction, seek the Lord. Trust Him. Rely on Him. But do not expect people to understand. I want to just say this today that most people are so spiritually immature or are not believers, they will not understand in your brokenness when you run to God. They won't. And this is how you know that. When they're alone with their spouse, they're probably going, oh, isn't that so terrible? I just don't know how we would make it. I can't believe this is happening to them. Maybe they've even said that to you. And while they probably mean well, it's a lack of trust. I don't know what God's doing in your life. I don't know what God's cultivating in your marriage. I don't know what God blessings has in store for you. I don't know any of that. And the longer I pastor, I'm trying to keep my mouth shut more. It's hard, but I'm trying. Because I have no idea what God has in store for you. I have no idea what God's trying to get you to get rid of in your life. I don't know your secret sins, but I know this, we've all got them. Some of us give them up easier than others. And God might be trying to work in your life, and so I'm not going to feel sorry for you if God has brought you to a point where I'm taking everything from them so they know me. Or I'm not going to feel sorry for someone that is running from God that's not really saved and God is breaking them down to as low as they can go so that He can save them from eternity in hell. I'm going to pray for you. I'll weep with you. I'll laugh with you if laughter is required. But I am trying to remember that God knows you better than you know you. And God knows me better than I know me. Over the last couple of years, it's no secret that I've had some health trouble, lost my hearing, uh, have, a, have some kind of a, a, a small uh, mass in there. I've had uh, trouble with my colon. I've had some polyps removed, had some precancerous, was in the hospital, had my share of problems. And I have to remind myself, God, is this a trial? Is it a season of correction? But God, whatever I'm going through, I'm going to try to trust you. I'm going to try to love you. I'm going to try to follow you. God, I'm going to try to know that tomorrow could be better or tomorrow could be more challenging. But God, whether it's a valley or a mountain, whether it's relationships that are good, relationships that are bad, whether it's the challenges of marriage or the blessings of marriage, God, You know what I need. Help me to see it. How many of you just like going to the doctor? It doesn't matter what's wrong with you. The doctor gives you two pieces of advice. 
eat healthy, and exercise. Doc, just give me a pill, all right? Every time it's feet ache, you're overweight. Back weight, you're overweight. Head's crooked, overweight, right? Too much chin, pulling that way. It's always something. Arms hurt, too much fat. It's just, it's always something. Eat healthy and exercise. Nobody gets up in the morning and says, I cannot wait to go to the doctor and listen to them say, I'm overweight and unhealthy. But you need to hear it. I need to hear it. But how many of you, when you hear that, go, you know what? I'm committed. I'm running when I get home. I'm throwing all the cheeseburgers away that are getting ready to be cooked in that freezer. I'm, I'm just, it's all salads. A few of you do. But most of us stop at Wendy's on the way home. It's just how it is. Yet we know what we need, but yet we don't see the consequences of it. But I can tell you those people that are 80 years old in the nursing home, missing a foot, can't walk, have all these health problems, probably ask themselves, I wish I would have listened. I wish I would have listened. Psalms 118 verse 8 says it like this, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. And I'm going to try to finish this last point. I know we're almost out of time. I'll try to be as quick as possible. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 20. Times of correction or difficulty are not hopeless. They are not hopeless. No matter how dark the night seems, no matter how low the valley seems, no matter how hopeless it seems. Look at verses 20 through 23. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and when he requested... They set food before him, and he ate. Then his servant said to him, What is it that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall no not return to me. The first part of that was a question. Can I bring him back? The second part is a statement. Don't miss that. I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. You see, David knew something that for those of us who know the Lord, death is not the final stage. Death is not an eternal separation for those of us that love the Lord. Isaiah 26 verse 3 says it like this, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You know why there's a lack of peace in homes? A lack of peace in church? Because our mind is not focused on him. It's focused on everything else. It's focused on our situation. It's focused on our enemies. It's focused on our finances. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon you. That's why the Bible says keep every thought. Take every thought captive. That the mind and the heart precedeth everything. God wants you to have peace. But you've got to turn your eyes to him. You see, David's hope was the simple fact 
that even though this was a valley, even though this was a challenge, even though this was correction, that it wasn't the end. John 14, verses 1 through 6, you're saying, well, Jake, those are the funeral verses. You're right. Because God views everything with eternity in mind. We view everything with earth in mind. Our whole lives are built for our retirement accounts and our finances and our houses and our families and what we can do now. But God is viewing eternity in mind. God wants you to know Him now so you can know Him forever. In John chapter 14 it says, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to Myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, friends, no matter what you're going through, Jesus is the answer. Whether it's a time of great loss, a time of great blessing, Jesus is the answer. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, the answer is Jesus. If you're here today and you are a believer, the answer is Jesus. You see, friends, when we can get to a point where, God, we know what you're doing is for our good, even though I don't understand it, even though I can't see it, even though I don't comprehend it, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to follow you. It's in those moments when God can do things in our life that we never thought He could, work in ways that He never thought He would, and accomplish things that we never thought that He could. And so today I just want to encourage you, wherever you're at, whatever you're going through, to run to Him. Seek Him what He can do in your life. He's big enough for your tears. He's big enough for your fears. He's big enough for your pain. And He's big enough to cover your sins and to wash them all away if you'll let Him. Pray with me as you stand. Father, I thank You for Your Word. God, I know there are people in this congregation today that are hurting, that are struggling. God, I know there are people in this congregation that have lost people, that have struggled, that have, have pain. And God, I don't understand it all. I don't know it all, but God, you do. I ask that you'd work. God, you know the people in this congregation today, God, that are living one way here and another way at home. God, maybe they're already facing correction. Maybe they're not. Today, God, I ask that you would bring them to a place of repentance that they might seek your face. God, I pray for that person today in this room that's lost. Lord, I pray that Your Holy Spirit is at work in their life right now, showing them that they are a sinner, that they are an enemy of Yours, but that You love them, that You sent Your Son to die for them, and that, God, that You will forgive them if they will repent and call upon Your name. Lord, for those that are facing burdens in the days and weeks to come with surgeries and funerals, God, I ask that you give them encouragement and strength in their times of need. 
And God, anything else that's going on, I pray that you'd help us to be honest and open with you at this time. So, Father, I just pray that you'd work and move all for your glory. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.